0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Permanente Docs chat. I'm your host, Alex McDonald. I practice uh, family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, as part of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. Uh, thank you all for joining, tuning in today, listening from wherever you may be watching, listening. Um, I'm really excited to, to welcome our guest today, Dr. Dingra. He is an emergency physician and physician in charge of the San Leandro Medical Center uh, in at the Permanente Medical Group. And we are here to talk about, we're on the, the eve of National Docs. Doctor- Doctor's Day, if you're watching this live, um, or if you're not, if you're listening to this pre-recorded, um, March 30th is Doctor's Day, um, and we are here to talk about what it's like being a doctor in today's environment. Obviously, there's lots going on and lots has has, has changed, um, so we are excited to to welcome our guest and just have a conversation about what it's like. Um, if you have questions, if you're watching this live, please feel free Free to drop them in the Q and A. We'll get to as many as we can, and we're just going to jump right in and keep this high yield. So, Dr. Dinger, thank you so much for joining us. Um, tell us, tell us who you are and, and what you do.
1: Great. Well, first off, thanks, Alex, for for having me here. And uh, as I was saying earlier, it's it's really a privilege to to be here and, and speak on behalf of uh, of what it's like to be a doctor, but also I you know I'm I'm part of a, an incredible group of physicians. So. My background, I'm an emergency physician, and I'm the physician-in-chief for the San Leandro Medical Center, which includes uh, wonderful physicians across our Hayward, uh, City of Hayward, City of Union City, as well as the City of Fremont. And I partner with a physician named Dr. Eric Kane, and we, uh, we, we get to uh, work with our colleagues and really unleash their practice so that we improve community health. Um, so a little, little bit about me, and uh, personally, I've got three kids, uh, 9, 11, and 13, and it's, it's a crazy household. Uh, but I but I feel very privileged to be able to serve in a role as a as a parent, but most importantly, also as a as a father as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. I, I'm right behind you. I have a, a 6, 10 and 12 year old, so uh, I, I can see into my future when we chat. No, I'm just teasing. Um, well, tell us. Tell us, I guess. Give us some thoughts and reflections on on what it means to, to, to practice medicine and to be a physician in today's uh, day and age, especially, you know, coming off this three-year pandemic. A lot has changed in the last three years, um, and, it, and I, I think some of this was probably in progress before the pandemic, and then the pandemic sort of accelerated a lot of these sort of, you know, changes in terms of what it is to practice medicine, what it means to be a physician, both in terms of how we perceive our own role, but also how the public perceives our role too. So share some of your your thoughts and ideas about just what it's like to be a physician in this day and age.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, first, I just want to wish, you know, our participants and our colleagues that see this later, a happy doctor's day. I, I, s- I sort of think we should also have a happy doctor's week. Uh, I know we <laughs> celebrate an entire week locally, uh, maybe even a month uh, for, for those that are uh, Thinking about that, because it, to be a physician in, in the modern times, it's still a tremendous privilege. Um, but, but to your point, it's a lot has changed these last three years, so a lot of it was in flight. I remember uh, speaking to a group of colleagues, and we talked about video visits, delivering care virtually, and saying, wow, wouldn't it be great if we could get to 10% of our total visits that could be delivered via video? And you and I are obviously talking here via video, and it seemed like a very audacious aspirational goal. And it was in line with where patients had expectations. You know, we moved through the pandemic and suddenly, you know, we're doing 50, 75, depending on where you practice almost hundred percent of virtual visits. Mm-hmm. And while that was great as an accelerant to technology, it also taught us a lot about how important it is to be in person with our patients and have that interaction to keep them healthy. Um, so a lot has changed in that respect. You know, I, I think that when I, when I went to uh, med school, Uh, I remember a professor telling me that, look, you are going to be taking a social compact with your patients. That means that it's not only the care that you provide, but things that happen in the community, uh, things that happen in their life are going to be into your practice and how you deliver care. And I think, and I believe that for our physicians, nothing could be further from that truth that, you know, it's, we have come in and we are now um, encountering issues around social justice, uh, maybe the volatility in the economy. All of that is comes into our practice uh, and is really affecting how we care for our patients. So it's really uh, changed in terms of our understanding of, of what we do is much more deeply than the care that we deliver in the office. It's really about the work that we do also to, to make sure that they're uh, safe in the community as well. Uh, so I think a, a lot of that has changed. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that, you know, regardless of what specialty you've been in, you've been affected uh, both personally and professionally by this pandemic. And, you know, there are, there are individuals that are uh, maybe still emerging from these last three years, and there's some who are just ready to go and say, I'm, I'm looking forward to a different future. But we've all experienced, and some specialties have even had collective trauma, you know, uh, related to, you know, taking care of patients that are undifferentiated, emergency physicians, ICU physicians, pediatricians, AFM physicians like you, uh, ICU physicians, and uh, you know, I think it's important that we understand that we we still have work to do to uh, support practice more, given the collective trauma we face these last couple of years. Um, so, emerging out of this, though, I think it's a very exciting time because practice is changing, expectations are changing. This gives permanente medicine a fantastic opportunity to reinvent ourselves and continue to be the best place to practice.
0: Yeah, no, I I could not agree more with you. Uh, and there's just so much to unpack uh, with what you just said there, too. And I think. I think that the, the specifically the piece about, you know, social determinants of health, adverse childhood experiences are really finally beginning to gain traction. Um, what I often will tell medical students and residents who work with me is, is my biggest frustration uh, when patients come into my office is not their UTI, is not their, their chronic pain. It's all those other things, which I feel like I have no control over. And I think that's why it's so important that as physicians and as our medical group, we really reach outside the four walls of our clinic, of our hospital, and really try to help um, impact the community where people live, work, grow, play. That's ultimately where health begins. And, And by the time they're seeing us uh, and especially by the time they're in the hospital, it's almost too late. And if we really want to think about improving the health of our community, we need to sort of expand the, the 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 definition or the version of what it means to be a physician as well, too, and not just sort of, you know, the biochemistry and the basic sciences, and that that's obviously very important. Um, but there's so much more to being a physician in today's day and age as well, too. Um, so I would definitely want to give yeah. a plug for that that sentiment as well. I think the the piece about virtual visits. And there's just so many ways, um, and just in my own practice in the last three, three years, you know, I, b- traditionally before I'd see patients, you know, in the exam room every day, you know, and now I'm answering a whole slew of emails and providing virtual care through emails. We have uh virtual visits and e-visits where patients can just sort of, you know, go through an algorithm to kind of see, okay, do I need to seek care and do I need to kind of do supportive things at home? Um, You know, am I, am I seeing patients individually? Am I doing video visits? There's so many different ways to practice medicine in this day and age too. And I think that's a good and a bad thing because we can kind of reach everyone where they're, where they are. Um, But also at the same time, it can be a little bit overwhelming for us too. Um, And, and that, that, where we find that balance, I think we're sort of still figuring that out. And and I I've heard the phase we're in our sort of our, our virtual delivery adolescence, right? We've been doing virtual care for a little bit, but we're now kind of in that awkward, weird period. where We're kind of figuring out where that, where that balance re- needs to be. So we can, we can meet our patients needs, but also making sure everyone has access to, to the the benefits of, of virtual care and video visits and not just those who have, you know, high-speed internet and th- things like that as well, too. I could go on and on, um, but I think that's really, really important to think about.
1: And I love what you said about virtual care adolescents, because I believe we are still figuring it out. And, you know, outside of our system, right, there are uh, policy uh, pressures, there's uh, payer pressures that come in that don't, you know, pay for uh, care delivery, but we are liberated from that model. We could do what we feel is best for our patients. And and actually, to your point, we can can unleash equity through this, Mm -hmm. right? Because you know, not everyone has access to what we think they may have. But we have the offerings now to offer it to everyone, and that's and that's sort of like at what point will we mature to that that uh, virtual care delivery system?
0: Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's you know I'm going to put on my government relations hat. I do a lot of government relations work um both within and external to KP as well. And I think uh that's a really important piece to make sure that that our voices are are present in Sacramento, in Washington, DC, wherever wherever those policies are being made to make sure that that we are really advocating uh for systems and policies which enable that as well too. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. We've tried to try not to go down that rabbit hole too. Um, but that actually that that does segue a little bit into um you know, your current role now versus what you imagine your role would be when you were in medical school or graduated medical school? And how, how is it different to be a physician today versus kind of what, what it was then, or kind of what you, maybe you imagined it would be when you were finishing your training?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I did not anticipate that I'd be doing what I do now. And I still have a practice, uh, mind you, it's a much smaller practice than what my colleagues do every day, uh, seeing patients, um, but what i imagined coming out of medical school was that you know I'd be, I'd be seeing patients right and and having those relationships and you know i was really attracted to emergency medicine the just the depth and the breadth of seeing all sorts of patients at different times best and worst times of their lives and and caring for them so that's what i imagined my practice being like putting on the scrubs wearing the white coat taking care of patients and what i what i learned and i and i, I really think this was related to the mentorship that that i had uh, not only in residency but medical school and really within TPMG is that you know we have so many physicians like you mentioned the work that you do that are doing something that's beyond their practice and it's it's helping the greater good maybe they don't have a formal title but you are you are doing something to influence even the neighbors in your community or maybe the school board that you work with and, and our influence is so much greater than I, than I ever could have imagined when I was you know a, a, a lifting medical student. Mm-hmm. And so, so what, what, we're, what I really enjoy about what I do now is, is I have the ability to work with physicians and hear their ideas. I, I look at it sort of as our physicians are our compass. They tell you exactly what direction we need to head. And it's our roles to work together to say, how do we do that? How do we make it happen? Um, so it's very different than what I imagined. Uh, but you know, frankly, even even though the last three years has been challenging, it's been um, at times exhausting. I, I have never felt more energized in my career than I feel right now, because mm. though there are challenges, again, I, I feel like as a as as collective eight medical groups, we have a great opportunity to really unite and lift permanent medicine. Um, you know, folks think this model can't be replicated. I don't think we should be worried about competition. What we should be worried, what we should be thinking about, is showing our our, our, you know, policy and and healthcare uh, leaders, how permanent medicine creates better outcomes. So that's what kind of gets me excited. And that's, what's totally different than when I started.
0: Yep, absolutely. I I think that's so true. Um, You know, I think one thing we've, we've, we've sort of encountered recently here is this sort of the, the, the loss of expertise um, and, and whether it be scientists or educators or policymakers, or you you name it. And I think physicians are unfortunately in that group a little bit. I mean, obviously based on polling data, physicians are still very well trusted and respected um, members of the community. Um, But I think we have sort of felt a little bit, this, this pull of, of, of kind of not being trusted as, as experts in our field as well too. Um, have you experienced any of that? And kind of when you, when you feel that, how do you respond or how do you, when you talk to other physicians who feel that way, how do you respond?
1: Yeah. Well, I, th- I think trust, trust is certainly a major issue. And I think as you kind of unpack it into uh, different groups, whether it's different socioeconomic groups or ethnic groups or cultural groups, mm-hmm. there's different ways on how our patients view trust through the lens of healthcare and, you know, I, I think one thing is, is um, I, I think a lot about the fact that there is, was just tremendous misinformation these last few years. Uh, we all know, right, that, that different uh, methods and treatments were espoused to, for example, treat COVID. And none of those things were evidence-based. And what, what we did as a group and what, our, what I believe our physicians do every day is they say, this is what evidence tells us. And these are the recommendations. And they have that personal relationship uh, built in to be able to, to, to really help our patients through. Um, even if you are working in a practice where you don't have a longitudinal relationship, there is a trust factor built in mm-hmm. uh, based off the fact that we are an integrated system and we're known as Kaiser Permanente. Yeah. Uh, what, what I've seen really skilled physicians continue to do is, is present the information and they listen and they empathize. And, and I, I think that it's, um, it's easy to, it's been, it's been probably um, difficult when you see a patient, for example, who has a very preventable disease or maybe could have had COVID prevented. A serious COVID presented due to a vaccine, but they didn't get their vaccines. It's, it's, I, I can see why one would get angry, but it's also to empathize you know, why they are where they are. Um, maybe some of it's from their background. Maybe it's from something that they heard. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is, um, has created a lot of stress and strain on our system, a lot of moral injury. I think we can take a step back and see that we are still trusted in healthcare, care. Uh, and, and our reputation still is very strong in the community. And I think we have to really build on that. Because of what you said, out healthcare has uh, lost trust over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I think there's been individual people that have done that, and there's been sort of institutional historic factors which have which have degraded that trust as well too. So I think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Is rebuilding that trust sort of one at a time, and really listening and helping understand where patients are coming from is such an important piece of that puzzle too. So um, we do have a question in the chat here, which is a little bit, you know, kind of uh, a, a bit of a segue to, to to that question as well too. So um, physician burnout is obviously a major issue in healthcare today, and how do you see healthcare systems uh, address Addressing addressing it, and how do you how do you personally find joy and meaning in medicine as well? You touched on a little bit as well, but but how how do you do that? And then how do we think about that from a system point of view to keep our physicians mentally and and, and physically healthy and and bringing their their best self to work every day so they can best care for the patients as well?
1: Yeah, this is a. uh, I, I hope we continue to come back to this more and more because I think this is going to be the work of of healthcare for the next several years. Uh, this is another area where um, burnout accelerated, right, these last few years through the pandemic yeah. to a point where I think if you were a physician, if you were a healthcare care worker, uh, you've experienced this at some point in your life. I know I personally have as well. So uh, a lot of what I think about is one is is uh, we, we shouldn't be afraid to address it. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about it in forums mm-hmm. with our physicians. Uh, we should be listening for ideas. Uh, but I also think it goes beyond what medical groups do. So there's there's an aspect there which I'll touch on. But I also think that, you know, Dr. Vivek Murthy uh, recently put out his advisory on on healthcare worker burnout and really calling attention to say this this will be a public health crisis if mm-hmm. we don't address this. And there are recommendations. I think that we need to take that seriously. We we meaning largely healthcare multiple systems need to really embrace it and not look for just a singular way to to, to address this as a system. But what are the things from a policy perspective that support physicians and really all healthcare workers to have a more balanced um, life, right? It's just, it's not about my career. It's also about a life, right? So I think there's something that's much more macro as a system. I, I think of a couple of things. When I think about the, um, the, the culture, I think about the community and I think about practice. And so I'll start with practice support. Uh, it has become more challenging to be a physician in the U S these last few years. So we need to be just relentless to make sure that our physicians are doing physician work. And that means that, you know, we often hear about top of license, right? Well, what does that really mean? It means that, you know, you mentioned secure messages. You know, if you are, if there are messages that you should not be answering because it's not going to really improve the the patient and, and help your practice, we have to figure out through technology, through other systems, to to address that. And, and you can see this in every single specialty, 24-7 specialty, surgical, et cetera. So, so we as a system need to relentlessly attack that. Because when we do, we give our physicians time. when they have time, they provide better care. And then the whole ecosystem gets better. And then I think at at, at the granular level at the medical center, it's about connections. Um, you know, if we spent you know three years doing this, right, and not seeing each other. Uh, and connecting like this in person, we've missed out and we need to get back to that. We need to get back to that collegiality that attracted us to our medical group and and really uh, exemplify that as much as we can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And for those of you listening to this uh, podcast, um, Dr. Dinger just put a mask over his face to show that we have been isolated physically, emotionally, geographically, you name it. Um, it's, it's been, uh, it, it's been a huge, I didn't realize how important that sense of collegiality, you know, seeing your colleagues in the hallway and and giving them a smile and asking them how they're doing those little kind of micro interactions, I think are so important to maintaining our sense of purpose and our, in our community as physicians as well, too. And we've lost so much of that in the last three years and we're getting, we're getting it back, we're getting it back, but I think we need to be intentional about that as well, too. Um, We had a colleague who started here in my office, Gosh, I think mid 2020, like literally in the middle of the pandemic, I don't think I ever saw that person for like two years. And her, her door was, her office was two doors down from mine. Um, and I think that's a huge recipe for disaster, quite frankly, as well, too. So, um, I, I completely agree with you. And I'm glad we're, I'm glad as an organization, as a community, we're, we're doing that as well, too. Um, tell me, tell me about, um, what would you tell young people who are con- considering a career in medicine today? Um, you, you know, I, I think a lot of people have said, you know, not a lot. Some people have said that, that if they wouldn't choose medicine again, um, but also if we're not attracting our, our best and brightest in the medicine, we're not going to continue to evolve and grow. And, and tell me what if you had a young person in college or even high school interested in medicine, what would you tell them, and what would you encourage them uh, to think about it when they when they decide if they want to go into medicine or not?
1: Yeah uh, Well, it's a, it's a great question, and I think that we, we all during these last couple of years have probably worried about our specialties, our field, our practice. Um, but you know I, I still firmly believe I had a group of uh, students that we work with here locally in San Leandro, and uh, we have a great faculty program. We have a lot of faculty directors, and, and they when you talked about joy and practice, they, they get such great joy in, in being able to educate the future generation of physicians. And so what I, what I tell them is that you are the hope. You are the hope for where healthcare uh, can be in the next 30, 60 years. And what you will do now and what you will do in your future practice will actually set the foundation for the next 100 years because we are at this just incredible tipping point on health, how healthcare is changing and it will change very rapidly. Um, so I, I very much encourage them to, to pursue practice, but I also encourage them to tell us what we should be doing that we're not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the fresh learner has so many questions that that, you know, we're, we're in a different phase compared to when I trained. I, I sort of was we, we often talked about how your, your attending would would ask you questions. And it was it was a nerve wracking experience versus now it's a, it's a much more engaging experience. It becomes more bidirectional because of how our learners challenge us. Um, so I would very much encourage them. And I can tell you that when I speak to our learners, uh, I know that we're going to be in great hands. I mean that. Um, And my daughter, I'll just share, she's 13. And uh, she shared with me recently that she wants to shadow our pediatricians. She's interested in becoming a uh, pediatrician. And um, that gives me me great hope um, and excitement, actually, for the future.
0: That's phenomenal. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I love best about teaching medical students and residents is they constantly are asking you questions. You're like, oh, geez, I better look this up. Or, you know, they sort of make you a Zen master on kind of your, your field because they're constantly encouraging you to, to learn more and to grow more, too. And that's what I love about, about being an educator in in medical education as well, too, personally. So uh, this is fantastic. We could go on all day, uh, but we, we try to keep these high yield as well, too. So last and perhaps the most important question, uh, what makes you most proud to be a permanent Permanent physician.
1: Oh, what a great question to end on! It's it's, it's so, a softball. It's a softball question. <laughs> yeah. No. Well. Uh, well. Thank you for that. I'll try to get out of the park. So. Um, so. So. Just a little background. So, I, I had the privilege when I went to um, college in, in Northern California to uh, work for the the Permanente Medical Group. I spent two years as an analyst, and I worked in oh. the access service department. Yeah, in 1950, Franklin and Oakland. And so at the time, I think the medical group and many medical groups were struggling to really kind of lift and figure out who they were going to be. And I I was part of kind of seeing this uh, peripherally, this this resurgence of our group, heading into Kaiser Permanente for residency and now being in the medical group. And what what continues to make me so proud is that our values have stayed consistent. Mm -hmm. We we believe in integrated care. Uh, We believe in a model where not only what we do impacts individuals, but it impacts families and communities and our incentives are aligned to do the right thing. Never felt the pressure to to order a test because I needed to for for any other reasons. I never felt the pressure to not do something because I was disincentivized. I was uh, encouraged to practice evidence-based medicine. And so, so for me, that's what makes me most proud to be a permanent aid physician is because we're doing the right thing for our patients and it really lifts our practice forward. And I see that model continuing. Despite the pressures we feel, it's that part of that value stream, all of us have to be Um, consistent and working hard to maintain that, because I think that's what American healthcare needs.
0: So so well said, and that's a fantastic note to end on. So thank you so much, Dr. Dingra, for joining us today and sharing your expertise with us. And uh, happy Doctor's Day tomorrow to, to you and everyone out there listening.
1: Thanks, Al. Happy Doctor's Day, everybody.
0: The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.